What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Negler's Never Right. Uh, second week of OTAs coming up here uh, starting today, but we get our first look at the guys on Thursday uh, as I record this Wednesday afternoon. Um, obviously, lots going on at PackersNews.com. First and foremost, make sure you check out Michael Cohen's pieces on Russ Ball. Absolutely outstanding work from Michael going over, you know, really essentially uh, the job responsibilities of a guy who has a lot of them, does a whole lot for the Green Bay Packers organization, but has been kept under wraps his entire time with the franchise, with the organization. He's not made available for media interviews. Michael spoke with close to, um, you know, he spoke to dozens and dozens of people, and um, including family members and agents who have worked with him, and he even interviewed Ted Thompson uh, for the piece. But, you know, Russ Ball, not made available as the Packers' long-standing policy. And I had someone ask me about uh, that on Twitter in regards to, you know, is that normal around the league? And while, you know, it's not most teams don't make it a practice of making personnel guys available for interviews uh, on the regular, it's taken to an extreme in Green Bay. I don't think there's any, I don't think even people who work for the Packers would argue that. Um, You know, I've tried unsuccessfully to have both Alonzo Highsmith and Elliot Wolf on this podcast, and both of them have been agreeable to it. Uh, and the Packers, the organization, has shut it down multiple times. So it is just how they operate. Uh, they, you know, they want one voice, and that would be Ted's, you know, the head of football. That's who he is. That's how he operates. And uh, you know, if someone's going to speak for the organization, it's going to be Ted. That said, I thought Michael did a fantastic job, kind of unearthing, um, or at least trying to paint a picture about who Russ Ball is, uh, what his, you know, where he's come from in regards to his growth in the league. Uh, You can tell by all the people he talked to and the quotes that Michael got uh, how widely respected Russ Ball is. Um, And he's a guy who I I think a lot of people forget about when conversation turns to secession plans for, for if and when Ted Thompson steps aside in 2018. I do think Russ Ball is I guess I would say probably a little bit more than a dark horse candidate. Uh, I know that's how Michael characterizes him, but I would say, you know, I think there's a much better chance of something like that happening where Mark Murphy names him the general manager and, um, you know, then finds a suitable kind of right-hand man for him to be his personnel guy. Um, I think there's a better chance of that happening than something like luring back John Dorsey from Kansas City, which I know has been thrown out there a lot. Um, or even you know John Schneider coming back from Seattle, I think Russ Ball taking over is a there's much greater possibility of that happening than those other two scenarios. And that's just me kind of reading tea leaves and doing some guesswork. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a distinct possibility. Um, but uh, like I said, make sure you read it. Uh, I thought Michael did a great job, especially in the second part, um, breaking down how negotiations kind of play out with the Green Bay Packers. I mean, Michael talked to, you know, a bunch of agents who have all worked with Russ throughout the years. Um, I did think it was interesting that, you know, Michael said Ted Thompson readily admits that he is not part of the negotiation process. Uh, he leaves that all for Russ. Um, you know, the parameters are set as far as numbers go and, you know, what they're willing to go to. And, uh, you know, Russ Ball can work within that. But, you know, as far as the actual face-to-face or email-to-email, so to speak. That's all Russ Ball, Uh, which I kind of, you know, always kind of assumed to some extent, but I didn't realize how 
extreme they take it inside 1265 Lombardi. Anyway, make sure you read it. It's a fantastic kind of overview of a guy who is extremely important to the Green Bay Packers, yet has not been given a whole lot of spotlight um, outside of the organization. Uh, meanwhile, like I said, OTAs is starting to ramp up again, and uh, they'll, the Packers will be back on the field Thursday. Uh, we'll have all the coverage for you at PackersNews.com uh, throughout the day and throughout the rest of the week. Make sure you're you know, checking Twitter, checking our uh, our homepage at PackersNews.com. Uh, I'll be on Facebook Live tomorrow, late tomorrow afternoon, to kind of you know wrap everything up and give you all the latest. Um, in the meantime, I took to Twitter again this morning and solicited questions for you guys because you know what, it's deep in the off season and it's just you know scrambling to find a guest every week. It gets old, man, and I did it. I did it pretty much every week during the season. So I'm taking, I'm kicking back during the off season here, and I'm. Uh, I'm letting you guys be my guest here on Twitter uh, to give me some questions that I can either answer and or talk about. Um, so let's get to it. Let's uh, let's get to your questions. Um, Sanjay starts us off with, uh, with wide receiver free agents, Packers tend to let them hit the market. If we can't retain Adams, are the big are there big name wideouts who would be comparable? Um, you know, obviously there's a lot to play out there. I would be absolutely shocked if. Ted Thompson and or the Green Bay Packers looked anywhere other than the draft to bring in a wide receiver simply because of how much that position is asked to do in regards to when they step on the field, they're expected to know um, all three positions. They're expected to know all the adjustments at the line of scrimmage. They're expected to know um, exactly how to read a defense on the fly once they're already into their pattern that's in sync with Aaron Rodgers. And that kind of stuff doesn't happen generally when you bring bring in a guy from outside. Um, now, that's not to say it could never happen, but I tend to think, you know, this is one of the reasons why the Packers traditionally draft uh, a couple of wide receivers every year. They're always trying to keep some talent in the hopper because they want to develop their own guys. Now, I know draft and develop is a bit of a, <laughs> maybe a kind of a polarizing term around Packer fans, but that position in particular, I don't, I don't know. I don't see them ever going out and getting a quote-unquote big name wide receiver in free agency. I think they want to grow their own guys in their own system, uh, and they've had great success doing that. Maybe they've never had like a, a traditional number one, maybe like a Sterling Sharp back in the day, but uh, you know they've been very, very successful finding guys like Jordy Nelson and Greg Jennings and uh, Randall Cobb, etc., who uh, grow up in this system. And like I said, they they want people who are going to grow with Aaron Rodgers and kind of become organically um, dependable and productive rather than trying to go out and buy uh, production. Which is funny because as Tom Silverstein kind of outlined a little earlier this offseason, uh, they have put more money into that position than anywhere else on the roster. And that tells you how they feel about the position. You know, those are guys that have come up and, uh, you know, through the draft and been rewarded. And Devontae Adams is definitely kind of next in line, so to speak. Jordy Nelson is a year older, even though he played very well last year. You know, he's getting up there. Uh, Randall Cobb is no spring chicken anymore. And they're going to need, uh, I think they're obviously going to try to keep Adams in the fold. Now, that said, I do tend to think they're going to let him play this year out. They're not going to just throw something at him at the beginning of the year. I wouldn't think so anyway. Uh, I tend to think they'll probably concentrate on Corey Lindsley first uh, and then let Adams and you know play out. 2017 and see how he fares, see what his production is like, 
maybe they approach him towards the end of the year. But I, you know, I really do tend to think that they'll let 2017 play out, uh, and then they'll they'll try and start to get something done prior to free agency uh, in next spring. Again, that's all guesswork, and a lot of it is dependent on what happens on the field in 2017. Um, but it's a good question. Um, let's see what else we got here. Kyle asks, the offensive moves were great this offseason. However, is the defense ready? Well, you know, the, when the only moves you make are through the draft, you know, you've got to expect, I mean, I guess, you know, the expectation will obviously be that these rookies will be able to help them. But as I've stated a number of times here on the podcast, and I know Tom Silverstein has written about it, the big kind of reinforcement slash development that has to happen is from prior draft classes because of the fact that they didn't really go out and do much in free agency. Obviously, they brought back Devon House, and I do think that was a big move for this team, a big concession that they needed to get better at that position. And I think they've done that with the addition of House and King in the draft. Um, But they're going to need big-time kind of development from guys like Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, um, and especially guys like Kyler Fackrell, and then maybe some production slash, you know, help from Vince Beagle. There, but, you know, those past draft classes are really going to have to step up. And obviously, um, they're, they're going to have to have a big kind of, you know, bounce back season from Demarius Randall and or Quentin Rollins. Uh, even if it's not both of them, even if they just get a big bounce back from one of them, that'll go a long way to helping, you know, make sure the defense is, quote unquote, ready, as you say. But, um, yeah, no, there are lots to play out there. It'll be interesting to see how they deploy guys throughout the offseason, uh, how they tinker with the secondary, because I think that's where the big kind of, I don't want to say question mark is, because I think the, the talent is definitely there. Uh, I think the big kind of mystery of how they're going to put all those pieces together lies in the secondary. I think the big question mark, obviously, is in regards to who's going to rush the passer, who's going to be able to get to the passer, who's going to be able to win those one-on-one matchups, especially on the outside. Um, is Nick Perry going to be able to repeat what he did last year? And none of these, this, none of this is a you know, foregone conclusion. Uh, those are the things that we're going to have to watch kind of play out. But, um, you know, don't mistake inactivity and free agency to a lack of planning and or foresight on the Packers part. They are, they are most likely expecting everything we just, I just discussed as far as development from, you know, recent draft classes to kind of help fill those holes that we saw pop up from time to time. Uh, in 2016. Uh, let's see. Oh, Jason asks, given Michael Cohen's article on Russ Ball, how would you rank internal candidates to replace Ted as GM when he retires? That's a really good question. Um, hold on. I'm going to draw a Packers.com for a second here and see if I can find the uh, find the, uh, the personnel group. Because I would say, you know, for me, I would look first at, obviously, if you're talking internal, Elliot Wolf is the first name that's going to come up. And I think for good reason. I think he probably is first in line, so to speak. Um, and then I, I would probably put Russ Ball next. Um, and I think there's probably some people that would quibble with that, but I really do think that's where he kind of sits. Um, and then I would put Brian there, Gutkunst, uh, and then Alonzo. Uh, I would probably put it in that order uh, internally. But I do think Russ Ball is a very legitimate candidate. And I don't have, you know, anything other than a feeling and kind of, you know, just little things like when you see Russ Ball with Ted and Mark Murphy at every single game in the press box, it is definitely those three who are always together. So it's just an interesting dynamic where, you know, obviously 
uh, Russ Ball is privy to a lot of those conversations and, and is part of that inner circle. I, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, Murphy wouldn't consider him seriously in that role. So that would be my kind of internal ranking, so to speak. That's a good question, though, Jason. Um, let's see what else we got. Oh, Andy asks, how many questions will you get about why Ted Thompson should have found a way to draft T.J. Watt? Other than this one, of course. Andy, surprisingly, zero. I think uh, a good portion of the fan base has moved on from the T.J. Watt stuff. I think most people understand that why the move was made. Um, the Packers obviously valued King, and they knew, or not knew, but they had a pretty good feeling they could get him there at the top of the second round by dropping down. And uh, we just got to let it play out, see how TJ does throughout his career in comparative to King. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, like I said, most people have uh, kind of moved on from that discussion, thankfully. <laughs> uh, Andrew asks, better chance at starting on the outside in week one, Gunter or King? I do think that's the coin flip, Andrew, and I do think King will be given every opportunity to win that job. Um, I think there's, it's no go, you know, a, kind of a foregone conclusion that um, Devon House will start on the outside on one side, and I think it is a question of is it going to be Gunter or King on the other side. Obviously, you know, I know a lot of people are down on Gunter because of all his struggles against number ones last year, but all of that, all of that uh, experience and another off season in the playbook, a little off, another year of development. You never know. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's definitely a possibility uh, that he wins that kind of second corner spot. And, um, you know, you couple that with the fact that the Packers have very rarely in their history under Mike McCarthy um, just handed jobs to rookies, even, you know, first draft picks. Whether it's Greg Jennings. Well, actually, Greg Jennings was like the one lone exception, the guy who started the moment he stepped on the football field. So that's a that's a bad example. But HaHa Clinton Dix... Dayton Jones back in the day, um, even Clay Matthews, you know, he was he was brought along somewhat slowly. So, you know, more often than not, these guys have got to earn their way onto the field um, by, you know, showing repeatedly in practice that they can be trusted, basically, to get all the adjustments. And, uh, you know, there's no there's nothing that says King's going to just walk on and be handed the job. So I think it's going to be a, fen- a phenomenal battle. Uh, it's something I'm definitely going to be watching for both at minicamp in a couple weeks and uh, the moment training camp starts next month or in two months, whatever it is. Um, do you think, Matt asks, do you think 42 carves himself at a redefined role a la Charles Woodson and sticks around after 2017? I love Morgan Burnett. Uh, Matt, it's a great question. I do think, I, I hate to say it, but I do think injury will go a long way in telling us uh how that plays out because if he is able to kind of carve out a redefined role where you have to think we're going to be seeing him in that middle linebacker that inside linebacker spot a lot more this season especially with the addition of Josh Jones um if he proves to be a valuable cog in the wheel so or cog in the machine so to speak then yeah I think there's a very good chance they try and keep him around um but you know if for whatever reason his play falls off or it Injury kind of catches up with him. You know, remember he had that back injury at the beginning of 2016. Uh, those are no joke. That's something that can always pop up and, you know, really give a guy problems. They tend to linger, which is why the Packers kept him out of the entire preseason last year. Um, you know, anything like that, then, you know, all bets are off. But if he continues to shine, and watching some of the footage over the last couple of weeks of his play down there on the inside last year, I can see why they made that move, especially against tight ends, something that gave them a lot of trouble 
especially when they were asking Micah Hyde to do those duties. Um, when they dropped Morgan down and started having him take on guys like Jason Witten and Jimmy Graham, um, you know, that was very effective. So if he continues that and even, say, excels at it, then, yeah, I think if he kind of redefines his position there on the defense, then I don't see why they wouldn't want to try and keep him around. Uh, but but make no mistake, I do believe that Josh Jones is your heir apparent there. Uh, I think that's pretty much why he was drafted. Um, all right, let's see what we got. Oh, and a lot of people responding to uh, an article where Jared Cook, former Packers tight end, compared uh, Derek Carr to Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, Derek Carr is much younger and has a lot longer to go in his career. Um, he's been very productive. There's no doubt about that. I don't see him as the athlete Aaron Rodgers is as far as getting outside the pocket and doing the things that Rodgers can do outside the pocket. I'll just put it at that. Um, I do think it helps that he was pressured the least amount of any starting quarterback in the NFL last year. It helps when you've got a monster offensive line in front of you. Um, let's see what else we got here from you fine folks. Um, oh, yeah, there was somebody asking about... Um, Matt Bowen put up a uh, clip last night of uh, Peters out in Kansas City and his technique when it comes to uh, pre-snap and then breaking on the ball, etc. on a particular interception. I think it was against the Chargers. And I retweeted it and kind of noted uh, Peters' excellent stance prior to the snap. And that's something I definitely want to talk about. Because you look at Marcus Peters and you look at his how productive and how effective he's been um, early on in his career. It's interesting because I th- I never thought that Demarius Randall was going to be exactly that, but I did think we'd see a little bit more of that type of play from Randall uh, because of his athleticism. Um, for whatever reason, it, it just had that has definitely not come to fruition. And the more you watch the tape on the Packers secondary, there is so much kind of unreadiness prior to the snap, and I can't put it any other way because it's not. I don't think it's a question of. I can't imagine that they're coached to just kind of mingle, uh, you know, wander around pre-snap until this ball, the snap of the ball, but that you see that time and again. And sometimes, you know, obviously, it's guys communicating, trying to get a, uh, some kind of call, some kind of adjustment. But maybe therein lies a bit of the issue. Um, you know, you look at some of the other tape from teams around the league, and you see guys set, and the call is made, and they play the coverage, and they go, you know, and they're set prior to the snap. But in Green Bay, time and again, you see so many guys kind of just not ready at the snap of the ball, especially in the secondary. Um, I do wonder if that maybe that chaos pre-snap maybe contributes a little bit to a lack of refinement when it comes to their technique. Um, I can't imagine Joe Witt is sitting there going, yeah, just hang out until the ball is snapped. You know, I just can't buy that that's what's being coached. Uh, it's definitely something I'm going to ask the guys about when I get to Green Bay because it's something that's been on my mind. It's kind of bugging the heck out of me. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a, uh, a bugaboo that's kind of driving me nuts. Um, so there you go. Uh, a couple questions via Twitter. Uh, a couple things about Michael Cohen's great piece on Russ Ball. Make sure, like I said, make sure you check that out, and make sure you're checking out PackersNews.com uh, all day Thursday and throughout the weekend for our coverage of OTAs when the guys hit the field uh, for the one public practice this week. Uh, that's on Thursday, uh, and then in I guess a week, week or two, I'll be in Green Bay for minute camp. So I'll be doing a bunch of fun stuff there, uh, video, social, what have you. Make sure you're checking it all out at PackersNews.com. 
Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for downloading. And thanks so much for leaving your uh, reviews on iTunes. It means a lot. Um, it really means a lot that you're listening at all. So thanks a lot, everyone. We'll talk to you next week here on Nagler's Never Right.